1: with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame.
0: Anyone who trusts in the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches you to come to Christ. Don't put off another day from receiving the best gift, the gift of salvation. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will indeed be saved. Pastor Danny encourages you that today is the day to receive salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow might not come. Receive Jesus as your savior today. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 10 as he begins his message, Essentials for a Successful Evangelistic Ministry.
1: chapter 10. And what I'm going to attempt to do is read through the section I've chosen, and then we'll go back and uh, kind of divide it up and look at what God is trying to teach us here. Verse 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is the apostle Paul writing, of course, a Jewish person and an apostle for. I can testify about them, the Jewish people, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. And he's quoting from the Old Testament, Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 5. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The idea is not something you got to do and achieve, What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. And Here's the simplicity of it. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And a very important couple of verses here in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? He's talking about proclaiming the message. And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news There he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, and I want to go back to that one just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 52, and look at the whole context of where Paul quotes this verse. Isaiah chapter 52, and you go down to verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. The idea is peace with God. Who bring good tidings. Makes you think of the Christmas story and the angel and what he proclaimed to the shepherds. I bring you good tidings of great joy Be for all the people who proclaim salvation. I was a brand new Christian, 19 years old. God had led me to Christian college. I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. My dorm in those days of Liberty Baptist College in those days became Liberty University We had dorms everywhere. There were no buildings on the mountain, Liberty Mountain. My dorm was a motel that the college had leased with college students on the second floor and regular hotel guests on the first floor. I was so zealous for sharing the gospel. I was so zealous for sharing about Jesus with anyone I could that I ran into this young boy at the motel. He was staying with his parents. I'm guessing he was 9, 10 years old. And I asked him, I said, hey, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, hey, I'm Danny. I said, hey, are you saved? He looked at me, deer in the headlights, quizzical look, and then he asked me a question. From what? I just assumed Everybody knew what to be saved meant and what you're saved from. I said, from hell. And that got him scurrying quickly to his room, to his parents. Never saw him again. I was young. I was zealous, in some ways ignorant. But you'd rather be young and zealous and ignorant, but wanting to share the gospel with anybody you can. I just assumed everybody knew about hell. I just assumed everybody knew what it meant to be saved. Paul's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved from hell. It's a real place. Revelation chapter 20, and a lot of you know this, but in verses 11 to 15, speaks of a future judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment because John the Apostle sees this great white throne and God is seated on the throne and it's a coming day when people will stand before God and everyone whose names are not found written in the book of life. Another place it's called the Lamb's Book of Life because it's connected with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, the gospel, the good news Glad tidings, peace unto all men, to whom his favor, his grace, rest. Those who receive salvation, those whose names are penned into the Lamb's book of life, penned by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved from hell. And then this future judgment where all those in hell will be cast into what's called the lake of fire. I still have a hard time when you stop and meditate on the truth that there is indeed a real hell. There are people that have died and have never put their faith in Christ, and they're in hell, and one day they're going to be cast into what's called the lake of fire, which is the second death. Paul knew this truth, and his heart's desire, because he had come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, is that all of his fellow Israelites would be saved. He would write that so intense was his desire for the Israelites to be saved that he wrote just one chapter before, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. They get all this revelation. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen, despite all their privilege. And in many ways, because of their privilege, Romans 10, he writes and he says, they didn't submit to God's righteousness, which is by faith. And so as I divide this section of Romans 10 up, the first is Paul's desire for the Jewish people, but if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, for all people to be saved. It's ironic that as much of a Jew as he was, because you know about his Religious background. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he was a A-plus Jew. And yet God called him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Nevertheless, you read through the book of Acts, that's where we just came from before we got to Romans. And Acts 17,2 tells us that it was Paul's custom everywhere he went. If there was a Jewish synagogue, first place he stopped to share Christ was the Jewish synagogue. Well, he was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He reached so many, so many Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to be saved as well. He had that desire. But because they sought to establish their own righteousness and didn't submit to righteousness by faith, they were hard people to reach. And that's the second Thing I put in this division of this section in Romans 10 most difficult people to reach with the gospel message, they are self righteous people. And sometimes people who are zealous for God. They believe in God, they believe in the Bible, they go to church. But as we talked about recently on the weekend, they've never been born again because they, they're depending on their own righteousness to make it, and you'll never make it that way. Most difficult people to reach with the gospel. Look with me just quickly. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Right in the middle of verse 31, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. It's a Jewish crowd. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. What's the point of that passage? Again, the people that are easiest to reach are the people that know they're not righteous, they know they got a problem, they know they're messed up, they're sinners. So, Paul's desire for people to be saved was intense. The most difficult people that he went to was the people of his own race, the Jewish people, because so many of them, they sought to establish their own righteousness. Now, third thing I put in this section, and here's what we can't miss, because whether somebody is self-righteous Or uh, an outright rebel, doesn't matter. The message to both is the same. And we better keep it the same. The gospel is simple. Paul opened Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Acts chapter 4 there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. It's a simple message. Jesus. God loves you. Jesus died for you. If you'll believe in him, receive him as Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Salvation. I'll never get tired of reading the story of the thief on the cross that turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just those simple words. And he's at the point of death. And Jesus turning back to him and saying, Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Acts 16, Philippian jailer rushes in. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple. Don't ever lose the simplicity of the gospel message. So, desire for people to be saved. Do you have a desire for people to be saved? I was so zealous when I first became a Christian. There have been times in my Christian life where I've lost that zeal. There have been periods in my Christian life I wasn't nearly as zealous for people to be saved. The Last section, chapter 10. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they hear without someone telling them? And how can they... Preach, unless they're sin. Here's the last part, and we'll spend most of our time on it. Tremendous need for what I'm calling here gospel workers, and I call them gospel workers because of Luke chapter 10, verse 2, and what Jesus said as he sends out some of his first disciples to share the good news. Luke chapter 10 After this, verse 1, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. He first sent his 12 apostles, now he's sending more. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, people are there for the picking. People are there, right, for the gospel. God just got to have people that are willing to go. So here's what I want to give you. From that, here's my springboard to the rest of the message. Essentials for a successful evangelistic ministry. That's the way a preacher would say it. Essentials for a successful evangelistic ministry. Sharing the gospel. You say, wait a minute, I'm not called to be a preacher. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. You may not be called to stand on a stage like this. You may not be called to a pastor or a church, but what's called the Great Commission, it's for everybody, for every Christian, going to all the world. And So what's the first thing? Well, from our text, you got to be willing to be sent. I looked up what it means to be sent. Here's what it means. Ordered to a particular destination or in a particular direction. I love the record of Isaiah in chapter 6, he has a vision of the Lord, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, verse 2, these angelic beings are crying out, verse 3, to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Before someone is going to be sent, they need to have an encounter with God. Isaiah does here. What kind of an encounter? Verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for, holiness of God, seizes sin, and now salvation, salvation. He has experienced atonement, forgiveness. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin, atoned for. And then it's interesting, verse 8, then Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And in the context, who's going to go tell others about the forgiveness, about salvation? glad tidings, peace, good news. And have you ever thought, if you've seen this passage before, that the Lord doesn't just direct it to Isaiah? He doesn't say, Isaiah, will you go for me? No. The Lord is just speaking. He's not addressing Isaiah directly. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, when he hears the Lord asking the question, he said, here I am. Hey, you, you consider me? Here I am. Send me. There's got to be a willingness. I'll never forget. I mean, it's like it was yesterday, and I, I, get, I get emotional. I get Jesus bumps when I think about it because it was so real. It was not long after I had become a Christian, 19 years old, in the Baptist church that I was a part of then, and it was a Sunday night service. I don't remember what Pastor Milton Fraser preached on, but but the invitation from his message was, Will you surrender your life? And he was talking to Christians. He wasn't giving a, a Christian, he wasn't giving an invitation to become a Christian. I'd already become a Christian. He said, Would you surrender your life? And if God will show you, would you surrender your life and go wherever? He leads you. And I walked down that aisle in that Baptist church. I'd already walked down it a few weeks before when I confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. And now I'm walking down it again, not to become a Christian, but to say to the Lord publicly, Lord, I'll go. I'll go anywhere. Now, look, (laughs) anywhere? That's a challenge, isn't it? Jonah, God tells Jonah, I'd like you to go to Nineveh. Preach the good news. He hated the Ninevites. Didn't want to go to Nineveh. We got the whole story of Jonah and the whale now. There's got to be a willingness. And with the willingness, God wants us to count the cost. Hey, go back just for a minute to Luke. Luke's gospel where Jesus sends these disciples out. Chapter 10, I read verses 1 and 2. Look what he says in verse 3, go, exclamation point. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, that's an encouraging send-off, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sending you out like sheep that are eaten up by the wolves. He wants them to know. It's not an easy task. Still not an easy task for me. Count the cost. You go and share Jesus. You go and share the gospel in the world with people. And some of them are going to chew you up and spit you out. They're not going to receive. They're not going to accept. There's a third third thing a lot of us are going to need. You know what it is? Willingness to be sent. Count the cost. Got to know how to deal with failure. Just ask Peter. Lord, I'll go and I'll be your disciple. And even if all these other 11 guys fail, not me, I'll die with you. I'll tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the cock crows, three times, you'll deny that you even know me. No way, Lord. Okay. But it happened. Peter. Peter. He failed. He failed miserably. The failure was actually good for Peter because he learned a lesson. And as Jesus stood before those Jewish leaders just prior to the cross and Peter warming himself by the enemy's fire, the Bible tells us that at one point Jesus looked at Peter and Peter looked at Jesus and, boy, the conviction came over Peter and he went out and he wept bitterly. And after that experience, after that failure, he became one of the bravest apostles. Oh, he still had his moments. He still had his moments, but he learned. And with that, you're going to come to times where, you know, I hit some rough spots. I said earlier, I had periods in my Christian life as a pastor when I had lost the zeal for sharing Christ away from church.
0: Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this series called New Testament Highlights, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again the truth of God's Word shines brightly into a dark world. The New Testament highlights that Jesus' life and ministry was a shining light into the Roman oppressed nation of Israel. In addition, the bright testimony of the apostles amidst opposition proved that there are always opportunities to be light in a dark world. Are you sinking into despair about the heaviness that surrounds you with the events and circumstances that seem to get worse? You might wonder if there's any end in sight. Well, keep your chin up, and keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God. He'll never leave you, and that can be a shining beacon of hope. We trust that this teaching has given you a renewed sense of what to live for and what's to come, as you're reminded of other people who are great examples of living out their faith. If you'd like to hear this message again, you'll find it at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be able to stay up to date on the latest things happening and know when new videos are uploaded. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.